Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. So it's October in Ohio, which means it's silly season. It is the season of all election ridiculousness. And I've I've just got to say today, um, we're recording this on a Tuesday. We listened to the President of the United States get up and beg people, beg people to give him two more senators so that he could, so that he could what? So that he could abolish student debt? No. So that he could, you know, enact full six months required maternity leave for new parents? Maternity, paternity leave? No. Um, So that he could, like, actually restore abortion access and provide access to everybody and fund abortions with the federal government's dollars? No. Mm -mm. He wants two more senators of his party so that he can give us back the protections of Roe that weren't working in the first place. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like ungenerous, like obviously, obviously would be much better than what we have right now. Mm-hmm. But I think it's time for us to have a conversation with our good friend Joe and anybody else who's listening to be like, Jesus, Joe, we need more than Roe, right? Like, we need <laughs> we need a lot more than Roe. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be t-shirts. Jesus, Joe, yes. we need more than Roe. Maybe yeah. for our Jewish friends, Moses, Roe, <laughs> right? We need more. We need more. Um, I It, it just... It, it, yeah, it's a frustrating moment because we all know that it's the middle of politics, you know, one-on-one, middle of the midterm, everybody's pushing for stuff. But just to hear, you know, the, the political discourse be, do we codify Roe or not, right? Mm-hmm. When we know that the answer is so far outside of that framework, like, mm-hmm. it, 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 was, it was really somewhat sad today um, to, <laughs> to hear that and know that... We have so much more work to do to get our political reality aligned with the needs of the people. And, and I, I, I like think about this and I kind of think about like how not with the times that is like it kind of reminds me of it. I know this is like it sounds semi unrelated, but it reminds me of inflation. Like so uh, the like what $15 minimum wage was like a big thing still is a thing that people want. But, like, even today, like, if you want to, if somebody were running on the $15 minimum wage, like, that is not enough to keep up with the inflation that we're currently dealing with. It is not enough for somebody to feel, like, sustained and, like, they can raise their family and, like, take care of themselves um, in the same way that maybe we could settle for that, you know, several years ago. It, I don't think that it ever would have been enough, but in the same way, Roe wasn't enough when Roe was around, and Roe wouldn't be enough even if we reinstated it now. Um, and, you know, I um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, I just got back from vacation. Um, I took uh, a, 10 days away from, from all things work-related, except... Of course, me being me, what do I do on my free time? I read books about <laughs> politics. And um, this also reminds me of a book that I read over my vacation. 
Um, so I cannot say the name of this book on the air because some <laughs> people think that it's a vulgar word. Um, and, you know, maybe to some it is. Um, but it is a book by Inga Musio. Um, and the subtitle is A Declaration of Independence. And I will link the book in the show notes. But um, reading this book on my vacation, <laughs> uh, it, it made me think a lot about like how little we're willing to settle for from our society, from like the, the places and organizations that are supposed to be caring for us um, when we could be demanding much more than than what we have. And um, one thing that uh, Inga talks about in this book is uh, her own experience having an abortion, having several abortions. I think she mentions three of them. Um, and she talks about, like, you know, the, the process of, like, going to the doctor and, like, getting uh, the fetus vacuumed out of her body. And this book was originally written in 1998. I wrote, or I read, <laughs> I read the um, 20th year anniversary edition um, that came out in 2018. Um, but she talks about like those experiences, the first two abortions, um, it, having that in the doctor's office. Um, and then she talks about the third abortion uh, ha- using an herbal remedy, self-managing her own abortion um, with people who cared with for her and her friends and herself. And you know, when I think about, like, how much we could be getting from these organizations, institutions that are supposed to be caring for us, like, I think about, like, how, in this book, she also talked about, like, not only this experience of her self-managing her abortion, but just in general, how society has taught us that, you know, we can't rely on ourselves to have the answers to whatever problems or whatever ailments we're facing, but rather we have to go to some expert, often a uh, cis male expert who quote unquote knows better um, and deal with the side effects of whatever the right solution is rather than being taught that we can rely on ourselves and that uh, we know our body more than than other people do and therefore are an authority on our body and just you know I don't think when I think about Roe like restoring the limited uh protections that Roe gives mostly to like white women (laughs) especially um and and I I think about like how restoring Roe does not give that power back to people it is giving just like a limited voice and is still limiting people to like, you don't know your own body. You have to go to, you know, some professional who probably isn't going to let you say everything that you need um, and may not take all of your um, ailments seriously. And I just think like, you know, the, the good thing about being torn down to nothing is that nothing is a great starting place for building something brand new that it can be much better, Mm, you know? mm, mm. Yeah, because the the question comes like, okay, why would we build back something that didn't work in the first place? Like, can we dream bigger? I love your metaphor about inflation and the conversation on Roe because it's like, no, like building back row is like asking for a $15 minimum wage. Now, like obviously $15 an hour is going to be better than 
you know, 10 or 12 or whatever, you know, people are currently working at. The Ohio minimum wage, by the way, is going to go over $10 um, by January 1st. But like $10, $15, it's not workable right now. And to recognize like, I don't know, there's, there's some repro rights inflation that has gone on in the past 30, 40 years that like the minimum that was okay by societal standards in 1973 and that has been chipped away at is just not going to cut it. Like literally we have a lot bigger vision for what the world needs, for what our nation needs, for what our state needs than, you know, a 50 year old law. I think about, you know, all the people who before the Dobbs decision were still having horrendously difficult times accessing abortion care, right? People in my community, Appalachians, like we've not had meaningful access to abortion care without huge workarounds and the heroic efforts, thank God the heroic efforts of abortion funds and abortion providers. Without those efforts, we haven't had meaningful access in our communities, people who need abortions, for decades, right? Black and brown Ohioans, not having meaningful access in most of their communities for decades. People in the disability community, people, like we, we could just go through the whole list of huge numbers of people who are not, you know, very wealthy and white and living in, you know, one of the nine communities that still have a clinic in Ohio. Th- those are, are all the people who aren't well served under Roe. So like the inflation situation, like repro rights inflation has really gotten us here. Um, you know, you, you referenced the, the book that has the title that we're not allowed to say, which I think is the most BS thing in the world. Like it, the, the essence of that book by, by Inga Musio, um, the, the essence of that book really hits at the issues behind the fact that we still can't say that word, right? You know, she wrote this, what, 1998, which is uh, almost before you were born, right? I mean, it was it was a long while ago. Like, right, I, I was still in high school. Like, I'm an old guy, I get it. Like, you know, but like, it's been a long while and we still can't say that word because that word has so much power that it's viewed as vulgar or offensive. You know, I did not read the 20th anniversary edition as you did. I read the OG um, back in about 2003, circa 2003, at Ohio Wesleyan University in one of Mary Howard's social anthro courses. Shout out to Mary Howard, one of my favorite professors. But like, um, yeah, you, you start looking at the ways in that text that she outlines her experience of healthcare and her experience of a system that was made by people who weren't her with people who weren't her in mind, right? Like there's this fictitious patient that typically wealthy, typically straight, typically white, typically male power brokers are catering to that does not exist. And I feel like we're still in that same place, whether it's, you know, Joe Biden or any of our state politicians or frankly, um, many individuals who are in charge of healthcare in the United States, like they're catering to this fictitious person that doesn't really exist and real people who need care are sitting here screaming like these are the things we need and they're not being mm-hmm. heard you know i i think about like uh so again this was written in 1998 originally some of that is obviously uh a, a parrot when you read it 
Um, but one thing that she talked about was like when she was, uh, you know, having her period for the first time, like people didn't believe that period cramps were real, like that the pain was real. They were taught to believe that their pain was all in their head and they, they just had to get over that. And like, I think if that is not like a sign of where the mindset has been and like uh, the in the healthcare, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wasn't I was going to say community, but that's not right. It doesn't feel like a community. <laughs> the healthcare like businesses like in their minds. Um, I don't I don't know what does it. And then later she was talking about like. Uh, later they did a report and found that like, oh yeah, they actually do cause pain. Wow. Mm. <laughs> what do you know? Um, and you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that like after they do that report, they start coming out with medicines that would supposedly help with those pains. And, uh, so she talks about like how those two things are connected. It's only worth reporting on. It's only worth looking into when, um, people, often men, often white, often cis, uh, have something to gain from that. And, you know, I think if we're talking about, like, going to something better, I, you know, in this, in this, like, little example that I'm giving, like, the, the better would not be going back to, okay, we believe that you have period pain, but rather we're going to have, um, people who actually have periods at the center of who um, decides how, like, healthcare moves forward around, like, period pain. Like, we have an opportunity right now. We, like, Roe has been raised, like, in most of the country, if not all at this point. And, like, we have an opportunity to create something new and better that is centered around the people who actually need care. Um, and yet, to go back to Roe is just kind of a slap in the face to this opportunity. I also think about, like, if um, anybody listening has been to one of our SMA trainings, I'm, I'm going to give you a little a little secret. <laughs> Part of our SMA training, we talk about, like, why a person would choose to have a self-managed abortion um, rather than going to a doctor's office. And one of those is um, that a person may want to avoid uh, racism, sexism, um, and LGBTQ discrimination in um, the healthcare facility. And, like, why would we (laughs) choose to reinstate the fear that people already have about the healthcare like system, um, when we could rather create a new system that is based on the people who would have that fear, the people who would be avoiding, um, you know, healthcare facilities because they're afraid of the kind of discrimination that they might experience. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just think we could do better. Yeah. Well, and and I think the struggle when when you talk about you know pain in healthcare, right? I as as a Christian pastor, like I can't overlook the damage that bad theology has done mm-hmm. to healthcare in general, and, and particularly healthcare in this nation, right? Because when you start looking at how 
particularly the healthcare of non-male persons is treated in this country over the last 400 years. Um, non-male persons, also persons of color, scripture is used as this tool to like make it okay that pain is what it is. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it essentially makes it okay for people just to ignore pain, right? So mm-hmm. when you think about pain either in childbirth or pain any with anything related to something that could be procreation, right? So like childbirth, anything related to menstruation, anything, you know, remotely related to um, gynecological health care, the big interpretive piece that always gets brought up in early medicine is, well, that's the curse of Eve, right? That, like, the story of Adam and Eve, right? Because, like, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and what happens? Like, oh, uh-huh. uh, somebody eats of a fruit, everybody, like, blames each other and everything, and then all of a sudden, like, God in the story decides to curse everybody because apparently that's what God does, right? Like, curses the snake, curses, uh, you know, Eve, curses Adam. But, like, to Eve, the curse is, or the, you know, the the statement, some people disagree with the curse language. I call it a curse. It is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. But to Eve, he says, I will greatly increase your childbirth pains. In pain, you'll bring forth children, and yet your desire for your husband will be increased and he shall rule over you, right? Like mm-hmm. all of that crap, right? Somehow got broadcast onto people in really inappropriate ways, right? And the interpretation of that story is that, okay, first off, big clue, friends, it's a story, right? It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be like how we govern ourselves. And it's sure as hell not supposed to be an excuse for people just being in pain like oh well that's how life is like if people are in pain we should help them not be in pain right yeah yeah historically though scripture ends up getting used against all kinds of minority communities when it comes to their healthcare access and being able to understand and apply that work which is why when we come into this space from a faith perspective Our main goal, of course, is to advance reproductive health rights and justice, and we do that by helping people reinterpret some of the lenses they've used, right? So, like, the big problem with we want to go back to Roe is that that's really a crappy vision, right? Mm -hmm. Another piece of scripture, right? Proverbs, in Proverbs 29, we hear, um, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? Yeah. Like, our people are perishing right now. Our people Mm -hmm. are perishing all over these United States because there is no vision for a thriving future being articulated Mm -hmm. by our leaders. Our leaders Mm -hmm. need to be articulating a vision of human flourishing. And the place Mm -hmm. where that's really being articulated are in the voices like, uh, you know, these voices that we're we're talking about in this space, Um, you know, like Inga's book, from more than 20 years ago and every person who has ever spoken out for their own health care, right? Those are the voices that are articulating this flourishing future. Mm -hmm. And we need to get those voices connected with people in power in such a way that the people in power either listen or get the hell out of the way so that those voices can take some authority and some power and create that future. Because the, the flourishing future is not let's go back literally to 50 years ago to what we had in 1973. Like 
Yeah. I but, I don't want to go 50 years back in the past, right? No, no. Like, yeah. I wouldn't... I, I can't think of a single thing that I would want to use that's from 50 years ago and apply mm-hmm. to everyone writ large. Like, that that's just, like, not how it should work. Um, and I, you know, you're talking about, like, the people who are not being uplifted in um, our legislation and in the, the people who are in power. And uh, I just think about what are the criticisms of this book that, whose name I cannot say, um, is that it is so focused around uh, seemingly cisgender women. Mm. Um, and so one thing that um, I'm glad happened in this 20th edition is that there's a whole section just talking about, like, how like trans activists have not been listened to and therefore like she literally didn't know and she originally wrote the book in uh, 1998 though you know you can say what you want about like do your research and like do better and like be better and like you know that but in my opinion it's the past that I'm I'm glad that she acknowledged it and put forth information about like how how we need to uplift trans voices and um, voices of people of color. Uh, but one thing she talked about is like um, people like um, Marsha P. Johnson um, who died as a result of being like this, this voice for the trans community and like gave so much and yet was not as appreciated as she should have been. Um, and I it like, you know, I just think about like when we, go back to things that are 50 years old, we're missing out on the brilliance that exists in the present. <laughs> the, like, if we, if we go back to just sticking with Roe and that being good enough, we're missing out on, like, the brilliance that can be adapting to a modern, modern culture and then 50 years from now, we're going to be doing things that were relevant in 2022. And, like, it's it's just, like, a continued slow process of progress. Mm. But, like, now that we're starting at zero, we should, you know, adjust to 2022 rather than going back to the 70s. Uh, Keep and, the minimum wage up with inflation, right? Exactly. And, mm. and in the same way... Keep our reproductive, uh, you know, justice, keep our mindset in a reproductive justice-centered place. And reproductive justice isn't a new thing. Like, this has been going on for a long time. But, like, we need an update to the times. You know, we're living in 2022 where, like, uh, people who uh, get pregnant are are especially a... Uh, a diversity, a, a spectrum of people who could be pregnant, whose voices are not being heard in the conversation around just Roe. Or, like, you know, like, we're... There's just so much that we miss out on by not being in 2022. And we, mm. like, have this opportunity, like, in the same way that we shouldn't be in 2022 making, like... What I don't know what the what the minimum wage in nineteen seventy was, um, but in the same way that in twenty twenty two fifteen dollars an hour is not enough, uh, in twenty twenty two just row is not enough for the modern person who needs access to reproductive health care, and we're not even talking about 
like this is just talking about abortion you know we're not even getting into the side effects that like have not been fully flushed out or dealt with with you know IUDs or other forms of birth control we don't talk about like how this pressure to um you know if if a person doesn't want to have a child the pressure is on the person with the uterus rather than on the person who seminates others um like it's it's like why are we putting all this pressure on women and femmes uh, when like that could be distributed to all parties who are involved with making making new life uh, and like I don't know there is just so many things that I and I think about in this book as well um, this conversation around like how for Inga it's hard to trust like these these people who are in power and have room to gain um, to you know have her best interests and to fully, like, care for her in ways that are going to be helpful to her body when they don't even know her body, and they don't, they like, they just want her money. Um, and that also reminds me, to go back to inflation as well, um, I saw something in, uh, well, I saw it in TikTok, but it's also on Forbes um, about how, like, the, the um, low, there's a low... Um, unemployment rate in September it was like less than I think it was like less than four percent or something like that mm-hmm. fell to 3.5 percent and people <laughs> were afraid or it caused the market to drop because investors are afraid of like what that means for people you know choosing to take jobs that are better <laughs> because they have more options and it's just a further like since we're on this conversation of inflation and like jobs and like being able to take care of yourself in that way, like it's just a further um, sign to me that like the people who care about my well-being or the well-being of people in my community and stuff like that are not the people in charge, are not the people in charge Absolutely. of the economy, are not the people in charge of the government. It's just the people who know me and love me and listen to me. And it has been made clear that, like, the government is not those people, you know? Right. Um, right. And if, I mean, listen, I did not want to have to vote for Joe Biden. I will be honest about that. <laughs> he was not my first choice. Uh, now, he wasn't now even my second it. choice. Now we're getting um, into it. <laughs> and, and, you know, people can say what they want about Joe Biden. I don't even care about the the hate that they have on him. And I appreciate some of the campaign promises that he has uh, actually gone through with. However, you know, uh, I think about, like, how my friends who got $20,000 taken off their student loans still have $140 more thousand dollars that they're having to deal Mm with. Um, And I just think, like, if Joe Biden really wants to be this great president, then what he could be doing is, like, listening to people like my friends who have $140,000 in debt and are trying to make fans meet or listen yeah. to people who, you know, are actually in places like, um, you know, Appalachia where yeah, Roe was never uh, enough for uh, helping people get accessible um, reproductive health care 
or he could be listening to people like um, black women and femmes who have been ignored by their healthcare providers because they don't believe that they actually feel pain. Um, So if he, if he really wants to do better, I mean, like, Roe isn't good enough anymore. Mm. Just like $15 an hour is not good enough anymore. And and that's the whole thing with voting, right? Voting is harm reduction. And that doesn't mean that it is the solution, but it is part of a buffet of options to help move things along. Um, just a, a side note, um, minimum wage was a dollar and 60 cents in 1973, oh, which God. equates to a, an annual salary for somebody working 52 weeks at 40 hours a week of $3,328. I know I couldn't make it on that. Um, nobody can make it on that because we are so radically removed from that space. Um, if that amount were actually um, adjusted for inflation, that amount would be over $10.30 today. And right now, minimum wage in Ohio is $9.30. I think, like, you know, not to get too nerdy or bean counterish here, but like the dollars and cents really mirror the social policy, right? We have a lot of work to do, and we need to not be going back to a dollar sixty an hour, right? Like we we need we need much better, much better than Roe, much better than nineteen seventy three standards. Um, sure, it would be great to not have abortion banned completely in Ohio, but I think we can ask for more than that. I really do. I believe that every one of these communities that you've named, they deserve more than that. They know that. We just need to make sure people in power do. Yeah. And I think, like, uh, you know, thinking about that adjustment for inflation, like, that would be similar to saying, like, oh, we can't make 15, so let's do 10. Like, bringing the the minimum wage up to $10 isn't going to do anything for actually helping people feel thriving and, like, they're able to survive and feel good about that in this society. Um, and so in a similar way, you know, going back to the bare minimum of row is not enough. And when you're in a position when you, you, can, you can make change like that, you know, you're asking for two more senators. Uh, Joe Biden specifically is like where, <laughs> who I'm addressing that. But you're asking for two more senators. You can do better than just row. You can, you can do better to actually help people feel like they're thriving and doing well in their in their um, communities. So, Amen. Well, that's it for this week. So uh, come back in two weeks and we'll talk about probably election stuff. <laughs> See you Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.